Well, we've been talking about faith and spent quite a bit of time on it. And in this series, what we've been trying to do is been looking at Hebrews 11, that just kind of uh, the writer of Hebrews says these are like people that had incredible faith. And we've kind of just like looked at each one. We've kind of used that as a launch board, Hebrews 11, so that we could kind of get an idea, not just who they are in Hebrews 11, but who they were in the Old Testament. And so uh, what we're doing like on a weekly basis, we're just we're trying to get into the Old Testament a little bit and look a little bit closer at the lives of these people and say, okay, what is it about them that caused the writer of Hebrews to put them in Hebrews 11? Why are they there? And that's going to be especially uh, significant this weekend because we have a person that I don't know if anybody would have put her in Hebrews 11, but they did. And we're going to see she's quite an incredible person. Um, it's one of those she's one of those people that you go, she's everywhere. And, and, I'll, and I'll show you what I mean. She's not all over, but she's every she she has her fingerprint, her stamp in really important passages of the Bible, which I think is utterly fascinating to me. Um, so let me give you the context. We're going to talk about Rahab. And usually we, we she has a title and it's usually not just Rahab. It's usually Rahab the harlot or in our modern terminology, the prostitute. She ran a brothel, probably. She was a madam, okay? And so she's in Hebrews 11. And the writer of Hebrews 11 says, Rahab was a person of faith. So much so that we're going to include her with Abraham and some of these other people and Moses. And there she is, right? Uh, let me give you the context. So we're going to be mostly in uh, Joshua chapter 2. Let me give you the context for the book of Joshua because sometimes you don't know what's going on there. So in, in, in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham, which he never really saw. And it was, I'm going to give you land. Okay? And so uh, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. The plan was to lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. Well, Moses gets them to the edge of the promised land. But he, for you know reasons you could read on your own, doesn't get to go into the promised land. So he hands off the, the, um, the task of taking the uh, the land that God gave him. Because the land that, that uh, God promised Abraham is inhabited. And so Israel's going to have to wage war to take the land. Which poses some interesting questions about, is that uh, kind of like, does that justify a modern day jihad and all of that? And actually, I, I think I'm going to do a blog article on that pretty quick here. Because I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. But essentially what's going to happen is Joshua, who is a, Moses' protege, is a, General Joshua, is going to take the land that God promised way back to Abraham. That's what Joshua is all about. It's the nation of Israel taking the promised land by war. And so uh, we want to look at that because before they take the land, they send in a couple of spies. And apparently they're not very good spies from the looks of it. Uh, turn over to Joshua 2. This is on page 170. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And on page 170, I just want to read the first five verses. And I'm not going to tell any corny jokes. Use Joshua's name for a corny joke. You'll see it as I read it. Um, <clears throat> Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, 
Uh, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, Jericho was a very, and I'm stopping here, Jericho is a very fortified city. It had walls around it. It was, very, it was, it was a, a, a difficult city to, to attack and certainly to conquer. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. So they not only know that spies have come in, they know where they're at. (laughs) So, like I said, not sure how that happened, but there's a leak somewhere. Somebody ought to patch it, right? Bring out the men who came to you, came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And the implication as you read through this passage is they came there for pleasure. Um, you know, and essentially that was the, the thought. Um, yes, they came. But I did not know where they had come from at dusk. When it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Uh, So what do we know about Rahab? (laughs) Uh, Here's a few things we know. Number one, she was a a woman in the night, a prostitute, whatever you want to call it. She was uh, not one of of the pillars of society, shall we say, right? Um, and, And oftentimes... In, in this in this time period, many times the, there weren't like you know like holiday inns or you know uh, sleep ins or Marriotts. So many times brothels would serve not just for houses of prostitution, but they would be places where strangers could find a place to sleep. Uh, so we're not sure exactly what was going on, but that was one one way that they were they were uh, used. It was likely though. The king of Jericho assumed that the spies had come there to use the services. Uh, and and it, it maybe more than that, maybe his fear was, and he said this in so, in so many words, that they weren't just there for that. They were there to spy out the land. So at this point, it seems as though the king doesn't hold any um, concern that Rahab is trying to lie to him. She thinks she's just doing business. And she's just kind of a, a putz. She's a pawn. Uh, so she, she's a prostitute. The second thing we, we find out about her is she's a liar. Um, you know, she lied about... She not only says, yeah, they were here, but they're gone. In fact, I think they left before the city gate was closed, because every night the city gate would be closed, which was the protection of the city. So they fled. But I'll tell you what, she doesn't just stop there. She says... I'll tell you what, they didn't leave that long ago. And if you guys get out there after them, you might even catch them. Now, meanwhile, they're up on the roof and she's got them covered up with sheaves or some type of uh, covering. And so she lies. But she also um, she also hides them, which which leads to kind of. And the other part of it is you read through this, this whole passage. There's no there's no comment in the scripture that says, and she should never have done that. She should have never lied. And there's a whole debate going on and some commentaries you read on this passage saying, well, she lied and she should never lie. The Bible says thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not, you know, deceive. And she's certainly lying and deceiving here. 
Uh, so there's a debate, and, the de- and if you uh, are part of a, a small group that's using the sermon guides, you know, kind of we talk a little bit about that this weekend. We talk a little bit about, is, is it ever justifiable to lie? Some people would say, good people would say, no, it's never justifiable and it's never good. And you say, well, what is a lie? Is a lie that you verbally said that they weren't here and they left? Or is it a lie to say, not say anything, but just to cover them up and deceive people? See, because lying is deceiving, so it's just a different form of deception, really. Hiding the spies is, is, is kind of lying. It's deceptive, right? So we're not going to settle that tonight. And there's no reason to do that this weekend. Um, but here's the thing. The interesting thing is, she is named a person of faith in Hebrews 11. Look at where she's mentioned. Just one verse in Hebrews 11. And I'll read it to you. It'll be up on the screen. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So it's very interesting here. She had this saving faith, right? That's essentially what it says. It saved her life. Her faith saved her life. The rest of the people in Jericho perished, but she was saved because of her faith. So she is named in the, in the, in the book of Hebrews. She's also very interesting. Remember I said at the beginning that her fingerprint is at different key places in the Bible. One of the key places is not just here in Hebrews 11, which is great. I mean, if you want to be mentioned in the Bible, Hebrews 11 is a great place to be mentioned. But she's mentioned also in Matthew chapter 1. Now, Matthew chapter 1 is that chapter where you say, I'm going to read through the New Testament. Maybe this year you should read through the New Testament or even read through the whole Bible. But let's just say you're reading through Matthew 1. You know what you run into in Matthew 1? The genealogies. And you start, he begat, he begat, he begat, he begat, and you go, okay, I'm going to jump down to after they're done begetting so we can get at it, right? Essentially, that's what you do. But if you do that, you miss this verse. This is, and I'll read it to you. It's Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. Salmon, uh, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Yes, that same Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law, and she was in in the line of King David. But more importantly, she was in the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Wow. A prostitute in the genealogy of Jesus. You know, it's one of those things where... We all have family members, right? And we're going to meet some of them this Thanksgiving. There's crazy Uncle Frank and, and, and weird Uncle Mary. And, and you know, you just, you just see them around Thanksgiving and you say, hey, good to see you. Glad it's only been an hour or two. See you next year, possibly, right? And you have these family trees where you look at them and say, and your kids say, well, tell me about Uncle Frank, you go, yeah, let's not talk about Uncle Frank. Frank's not. <laughs> well, this is kind of what's going on. You, you, you read down it. Yeah, yep, good, good. Rahab. And that's kind of what stands out here. So what are we to make of Rahab? Here's the point, I think. The gospel's for everyone. It's not just for the good. And it's, it's not for just for the bad. It's for the downtrodden, the losers, and the sinners. 
Here in my mind is a mistake that so many people today make about the gospel. Here's the mistake they make. Many people think, I am too far gone to be acceptable to God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life looks like. You don't know the the dark part of my life. There's nobody on this planet that I've ever shared this darkness in my life. I am too far. I wish there was hope, but there's no hope for me. And I just want to tell you that the reason the people, the reason that Rahab is included in the Bible, because she's not a pillar of society, is to show you that the gospel is for you, and you're never too far gone. You're never too far from God. And you need to understand it and you need to hear it. Maybe for the first time that God's grace is bigger than the worst thing in your life. Please hear that. Because there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm just not good enough. I'm not. No, you're not. <laughs> and I'm not either. That's the point. But, it, you know, don't get to a place where you say, I'm too far gone. Uh, God could never forgive me for this. Because when you do that, you're, you're playing into the enemy. The enemy wants you to believe you're too far gone. There's never going to be hope. You, God's grace can't reach around you and bring you back. There's no hope. And I just want to say there's hope today. If there was hope for Rahab, there's hope for you. So that's the, one, the first mistake. The first mistake is some people think, I'm too far gone. The, the other mistake is, is kind of the opposite mistake. And the op- opposite mistake is this. I'm okay. I'm good enough. I, I mean, I know there's other people that need the gospel, but I'm pretty good. I'm doing okay. I'm pretty acceptable. I think God's going to be pretty pleased when I show up in heaven. And I just want to tell you now, before you're surprised later, that you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. And you're not too good. And you're not too bad. And that's what the gospel really says. The gospel says we're all sinners. In fact, uh, Paul says that in Romans chapter 3. He says all have sinned. Not just, not just the sinners. All have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And we're all, we're all justified freely by His grace, not by our works, not by our goodness, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So please hear the gospel. Please hear the, the, the one thing that we see of Rahab and the reason I believe that she has got her fingerprint in these different places is to show that if a person like her could be accepted by God, so can you. You're never too far from God that you can't receive his grace. But here's the important thing. You're never too good not to need his grace. So, so please, understand that, because if you don't understand those two points, you'll never understand the gospel. Uh, we're, we're, we are justified by His grace, not by our works. Now, what do we do about her faith? Well, let's look at her faith for a minute, because essentially that's why she's in Hebrews 11. Why is she there? So, um, go down to verse 8 of Joshua 2. We'll follow this a little bit. We'll follow the story a little bit further and, and just find out what happens. So the, the, the spies have come into Jericho during the day. They have met with Rahab, and now we're going to have this dialogue. Uh, well, they have this dialogue with her, and she basically says, that, you know, the city's terrified. 
they've heard of what God has done. They've heard about the, the parting of the Red, uh, the, the Red Sea. They've heard about you leaving Egypt. They, they've heard all of this. They, they are, they're concerned. And uh, notice what it says. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that, that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Red Sea uh, for when uh, you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven uh, above and on earth below. Now then, please swear uh, to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So what do we find about her faith? There's a few things that are applicable to us. First thing is this. She had an active faith. She had an active faith. Um, Rahab, now, who heard, or, you know, as she talks about the fear of the city and the fear of, of Jericho and all the people of the city, she's essentially saying, we have heard, we've all heard, to the point that we're fearful, we're concerned, we, we know that there's judgment, is, the judgment is coming. And um, so she uh, had an act of faith. And because she had this act of faith, it not only, as Hebrew says, saved her life, it saved the life of her family, as we'll see in a minute. Now, the whole city, again, had heard of the exploits of the Hebrews and their God. But it's only Rahab. It's only Rahab who basically says, we bow down to your God. The rest are kind of, they're, they're still fighting it. And, and here's the point. There's a lot of people today who have heard the gospel. A lot of people have heard the gospel. There are people who have heard it week after week after week. And more than once, yet they fail to do anything about it. They fail to bow down to God. They fail to give their lives to God. They fail to act on their faith. They're happy to continue with life as usual. They may say, well, one day, someday, sometime. Uh, but I just want to say to you, that there has to be a point. That there's going to be a point where people, every if Bible says in, in Philippians, uh, there'll be a day that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There'll be not one person there that can say, I never heard, I never knew. Because Paul says in Romans, from the creation we can see the power and the presence of God in creation. So when we, when we have that information before us, we have to act on it. And that's, that's why Rahab is in Hebrews 11. Because she didn't just hear the information, she acted on it. See, Rahab's faith was, was young and undeveloped, but her, but she securely placed her trust in the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. And that's why she was saved. Not only that, she had a risky faith, or a risking faith. To save the spies, she was, had to risk her faith. Uh, she was at a place where if the king found out, she was probably dead. And they probably would do the same to her family. But she was willing to risk her life to be saved. Um, there are people today who say, 
Um, I want to believe in Jesus, but I really don't want to be pressed too hard. I really don't want too much. You know, don't ask me to make too much of a commitment. Don't. But what did Jesus do? He said, come follow me. Right. And when some people came and said, well, I have to do this and I have to do this. He says, no, no, no. Let the dead bury the dead. You know, you, you can take care of that another day. You come and follow me. He didn't he didn't make excuses. And, and I think that that there's a point where it's I was thinking about this on the way way here uh, this weekend as I was preparing. Uh, I was thinking, you know, if we could describe the state of Christian Christian faith and that's you and me today. I'm not thinking of a young, strong, vibrant, if we could equate it to a person, a male, okay, in this case. I'm not thinking of a young, like, 18 to 20-year-old who's strong and vibrant and, you know, just, you know. I'm thinking of somebody who's like 50 to 55, kind of like super overweight, kind of sits down and eats potato chips and, and just kind of hangs out and really doesn't do much. It seems to me that, that our faith tends to be that that's the kind of commitment that we have kind of going on today. Um, when we're challenged, when, when it gets a little bit rough, when, when uh, things don't necessarily go our way, uh, when uh, we're, ch- we, we're, we're called to take a step of faith or do something where we have to have a little bit of a backbone, we kind of go, I don't think so. Isn't that, we, we, we have brothers and sisters in China. We have brothers and sisters in other countries that can't worship like we do right now. And I'll tell you what, they're more like the 20, 18 to 20 year olds that are just like, let's, you know, strong. And I'm not, you get my, get the picture here. They're not real flabby in their faith. Because their life depends on that. They're, I guess what I'm saying is they're not ashamed of Christ. They're not ashamed of the gospel. They're not ashamed to be, to be, to be connected to Christ. It, it's kind of like what Paul said in Romans 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And the question I want to ask you this weekend is, are you willing to risk your faith? And, and have you risked your faith? What do I mean by that? When was the last time that you shared a gospel, the gospel with a friend or a neighbor or a family member? Get ready. Next week, your family's coming. No, but when was the last time you say, well, we don't pray. We don't pray before our Thanksgiving meal because we have family and, and they're not all believers. Is it your house? You say, hey, it's our family tradition to pray, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. But you say, oh, I, I, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Well, you know, it might be a good thing. When Jesus or Christians are kind of being, you know, at work, I remember one job I had uh, where there was a lot of just, just vulgarity and just a lot of, you know, and, and there was a point where I just, I just, I just, it was really, it just pounded down. You know, there was a point where I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. But then there was a point where they started, you know, just cursing. Taking the Lord's name. And I just said, hey, can you curse someone else's name for a while? 
Because I don't curse your mom or your dad out. You know, and they kind of looked at me like, I don't think you even knew what they were doing. But there's a point where you say, you willing to step up? Are you a two-faced Christian? You have one face on the weekend and another during the week. In other words, you sing like a saint, but you swear like a sailor. Just depends on what day of the week we're talking about. Right? I'm just asking. I'm just, I'm just asking. Did you, does your faith have any muscle to it? I mean, Rahab's taking a risk here. She's putting her life on the line. She's saying, I'm willing to be counted with Christ. And I think I'm, I think what I'm seeing is I'm thinking, I think we have become flabby in our faith in America. And we're, we're not, and I'm not saying get in people's faces and be antagonistic and, and uncivil. That's not what I'm saying. But, but at some point, stand firm in your faith. Stand up for Jesus. Because He hung up for you, right? Alright. Number three, she had an obedient faith. Uh, look, at, look at Joshua 2, verse 15. So she let them down by the rope uh, through a window for the house that she lived on was uh, part of the city wall. So, just a picture. You have this big city wall. And if you keep reading through Joshua, that wall is going to come down. And the kids learn the song about the walls of Jericho coming down and all that. <coughs> well, her her uh, house, if you want to call it that, was built into the wall. As many probably were. And she had a, a, a window that faced outward. And probably was way up. And she let them out the window and down the window. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return. And then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You <coughs> excuse me, you have tied this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if, if, uh, you, tell what, uh, if you tell what we are doing, you will be released from the oath you made us swear. <coughs> so she lowers the spies out the window and they basically said, Tie this scarlet cord and hang it down and make sure that whoever of your family you want to save, they're in this room, they're in this house. Because if they're not, they're dead. And if you go out and we're ransacking the city, you're dead. Um, Now, it's interesting to me because this is really a shadow of the Passover. Now, what was the Passover? The Passover was the last plague. And the, the Israel, uh, the Hebrew people were told they, they were to take the blood from the offering and they were of the animal that they slaughtered and they were to paint the doorpost, <coughs> the top and the side of the doorpost. And that night the angel of death passed over the house where the blood was. And you had to be in that house. You had to be under the blood. Well, it's very interesting. The same thing is going on here because they're saying you have to be in this house. And what is, what is it marked by? A scarlet cord. And I think that uh, uh, this is a, 
that uh, it's a picture of the, the uh, Passover, which in turn points to the cross, because the cross is the ultimate, the ultimate doorpost blood, right? It's the ultimate scarlet cord, because when we're under the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we are no longer under the wrath of God. Our, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ, and now we have peace because we're under the blood. We're protected. We're under Christ. Now, here's what I think this verse This passage is saying there is one way of salvation, not many. Um, They what the spies say to Rahab is this. If you want to be saved, there's only one way. You need to be in the house and you need to stay there. If you come out or you try to do it another way, you're dead now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are pretty straight, direct. This is a direct command. There's not a lot of debate. He's either crazy, he's either uh, a lunatic, uh, or he's <coughs> a liar, and he's making promises he can't keep, or he is who he is. That's what C.S. Lewis said. So he's making one of those claims. And I know it's popular in our world, especially today, to say, well, um, Here's the picture we usually get. We're all we all have different beliefs and we're just all climbing that mountain. And when we get to the top, we're going to all say, oh, you're here, too. Oh, you're here, too. Oh, you're here, too. And you were Buddhist and you were you were you were Jewish and you were Christian and you were whatever it is, fill in the blank. okay? but we all we all climbed up the same mountain and we all got to the top and look, we're all there together. Isn't that great? That plays really well in our society today. There's two major problems with it. That's obviously not what Jesus taught. And that's why I think the Islam and Judaism pretty much reject Jesus as God's son, the son of God. Okay. And the other problem with this is all world religions teach radically different things. They are not on the same page at all. They are all over the place. So it's like that we're not all climbing a mountain at all. I mean, it's just they're they're all over the place to say that we're all, you know, we all have these different beliefs, but we're going to get to the same point is ridiculous because that's not the point. What I want you to see about Rahab was she was told this is the way to salvation. And she followed it and she was saved. In chapter 6, verse 25, it says this, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. Why? Because she hid the men Joshua had sent the spies, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So she was spared because she put her trust in God, and by doing that, she actively hid the spies, and she actively obeyed (coughs) their directives. Now, what's the amazing truth of Rahab's story? Well, she's mentioned in Matthew. She's mentioned in Hebrews. She's even mentioned in the book of James. And it's kind of strange where, and by the way, Jesus, uh, James is the, you know, stepbrother, if you want to call him that, uh, of Jesus. 
But he's mentioned in James, it's kind of interesting because James is saying, faith without works is dead. So he mentions Abraham, and he says, Abraham was a man of faith, but he was a man who demonstrated his faith. He offered his son, he did these things. And then right after Abraham, you know who he mentions? Rahab. This is what he says about Rahab. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now again, she's being deceptive here and she's being rewarded for deception. <coughs> That's a whole other debate. The point I want you to see is basically what James is using her to illustrate is this is a woman who risked her life, who had faith in God, and because of her faith in God, she was willing to deceive the people that were trying to kill the spies. She was willing to put her life on the line for them. Both Abraham and Rahab had a faith that worked. She was an outsider who was brought in by her faith in God. Now, here's the point. If you think, if you want to list, if you were to say, okay, who's the greatest person of faith in the Old Testament? You say, well, maybe Abraham, maybe Moses, right? You'd probably say that. Maybe David, I don't know. Maybe Daniel, maybe his three friends. But you, those would be the names. You wouldn't mention Rahab. But James would. James did. James called, he puts him in here. See, the point is, the gospel isn't for those who, who have their lives all together. We all come the same way. Beneath the cross, by grace. And, and I think that's the most powerful thing that we could draw from Rahab was that she shows us that no matter who you are, when God reveals himself to you, when you respond by faith, it doesn't matter what you've done. He has a place for you. He accepts you. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians, and I'll close with this verse, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And I think Rahab would say, Amen. Because I've got nothing to boast about as far as righteousness. And I think Abraham would say, Amen. Because I have nothing to boast about for my righteousness. We come to the gospel through the blood of Christ. We come to the cross through the blood of Christ. And our sins are forgiven not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done. And Rahab shows us that when God reveals himself and we respond by faith, we're brought into the family. A family that we don't, we're not born into physically. A, ba- a family that when you look at some of the people that are in, you go, I can't believe they're in. But they are. By faith. By faith. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, what a strange family you have. We call it today the church, your people. And we are here not because we were born physically into this family, but we were born spiritually into this family. We aren't here in this family because of anything that we have done. We're here because of something you have done on our behalf. 
We're here because Jesus gave his life for us. And Father, may everyone who is either in this place or hearing this or watching it online, maybe for the first time come to a place where they'll realize they're never too far away for the grace of God. But also, they're never too good not to desperately need the grace of God. And thank you, Father, that when we respond by faith, you receive us into your loving arms and forgive us our sins. For that, we are so grateful and so thankful. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.